Well, this morning we are going to continue our series on the greatness of our God. And uh, I was walking in this morning and talking to Dr. Burt Dyson. He said, I'm excited about the message this morning. I said, I'm excited too. It's just, it's neat to be able to share some of these insights and some of these things that we find in, in the Lord's book here in the wonderful words of life that God has given us. That's what today's topic's all about. So the, the wonderful words of life that the Lord has graciously revealed to us and given to us. And I told you about how, as I was reading through the Old Testament passages for, for the month of June, how I kept seeing this theme of the greatness of God, that God is vastly superior. He's completely high and holy and exalted over all other entities within the cosmos, that he is the greatest thing ever in the history of the world before and after, that our God is greater than anything else. That his greatness is revealed by his glory. Last week we, we looked at this incredible uh, story from Second Chronicles chapter 7 about the, the greatest worship service kind of of all time when Solomon dedicated the temple that he had built after seven years of construction to the Lord. And how the Shekinah glory, the physical manifestation of God's glory showed up and filled the temple so, so greatly that the priests were unable to enter into the house of the Lord. And so now we, like Moses, cry out, Lord, show us your glory. Back in, in Exodus 33, Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see it. And God replies to us, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Because in Jesus, we find our temple. Jesus is the new temple, he said. In Jesus is where we are made whole. In, in Jesus is where our sins are atoned for, like in the temple. In Jesus is where we receive life and life to the fullest. So the things of earth will then grow strangely dim in the light of the glory and grace of Jesus Christ. So last week I, I gave this long overview of the history of Israel right from the time of Abraham going all the way to the temple uh, with Solomon. I'm not going to do it again, don't worry. Uh, you can go back and look at it online if you, if you want the overview of history. But today we're going to jump 300 years after the temple. I, I told you last week how the, under King Saul we had a united kingdom of Israel, right? And then uh, he was a, a horrible king pretty much. And after 40 years, finally King David got his shot. And he was a king unlike any other. He was a man after God's own heart. And after 40 years of, of David's rule, then you have Solomon who started out great. He asked for wisdom and he, he got wisdom, but then he blew it. He started going after pagan women, pagan gods. He became an arms dealer. He, he started chasing after the wealth of the world. And of course, God's judgment came upon his people and the kingdom split into Judah, the southern kingdom, and Israel, the northern kingdom. Two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, were in the south and the other ten tribes were up in the north. And really it was a time of, of prosperity. The Lord allowed them to, to have a little bit of, of peace and prosperity, but what did they do with that peace and prosperity? They went after pagan gods. And I, I told you last week how all the kings of Israel in the north were bad dudes, all of them. They all chased after pagan gods. They adopted the culture around them. They became like the Canaanite pagan culture by adopting Baal and the, the, the gods of, of Canaan. And so, of course, God's judgment came upon them in 722 
B.C., the Assyrians, the mighty Assyrians from the north came in and wiped them out completely. But we still had Judah in the south. And that's where we are today in our story in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. This is about the year 650, about 650 B.C. And we're going to talk about a young king named Josiah, whom the Lord used in a powerful, mighty way. And last week we talked about how the glory of God reveals the greatness of God. When the Shekinah glory showed up at the temple, that God's greatness was revealed. And the people shouted out with one voice, Great are you, Lord, and your steadfast love endures forever. Well, today we're going to talk about how the greatness of God is revealed in the Word of God. How King Josiah stumbled upon the Word of God and it changed everything. Nothing in the entire kingdom would be the same after the word of the Lord became found and became uh, prioritized in its rightful place. So let's read this story together, starting in verse 1 of Second Chronicles chapter 34. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Wow, an eight-year-old on the throne of Judah. You know, my son is almost eight years old, and if his decision-making ability is similar to what Josiah's was, then uh, it would not go well, I would say, for any kingdom to have an eight-year-old on the throne. No offense, dude, you're just young. You know, it, I was the same way when I was seven. An eight-year-old is king. This is about 650 B.C., remember, okay? And, and Josiah's dad was a guy named Amon, A-M-O-N, and he was a horrible king. He only ruled for two years, but in that short window of time, he managed to corrupt the nation of Israel so greatly that finally the Lord, in his mercy, removed him from his throne by having his servants assassinate him. He, he completely erected all these pagan altars within a two-year period. He completely turned away from the Lord, and the word of God was, was literally missing. The word of God was nowhere to be found during the reign of Ammon. So the people of Judah now make his little eight-year-old son, Josiah, king. They're probably thinking, oh, if we get this little kid on the throne, then he'll just kind of be a puppet king and we can do whatever we want without any royal interference. We can control him. He's only a kid. But God had other plans for Josiah. Let us never be guilty of saying they're only a child. They're only a young person. What possibly could happen? What could they possibly accomplish as a child? Verse 2, so he, Josiah, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, even as a child, and walked in the ways of David, his father. Not his literal father, but 300 years before his, his forebearer. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. That sounds a lot like Deuteronomy. Don't turn to the side. Don't be distracted by the things of this world, but keep your eyes fixed on the Lord and walk in His ways where you walk. I was teaching Jude to mow the grass. He really wanted to mow the grass uh, a couple days ago. And I said, you, you got to aim high, Jude. you got to look where the line is. He was looking down, and so he was kind of going all over the place. I said, aim high. Look ahead where the line is and go towards that goal. Have a fixed goal on a path. That's similar to what this is saying about Josiah. He had a fixed goal in mind. He was headed on a trajectory that was God's way, God's direction. The Lord was the center of his focus. He walked in his ways. Look at verse 3. 
For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, only a 16-year-old, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, when he's 20, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. You know, Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? That doesn't mean that, that, that God is in the hills. The hills is where the pagan altars were. The hills is where these, these fake places of, of uh, pagan worship were erected on these high places. That's, that psalm is saying, I lift up to my eyes to the hills. Is that where my help comes from? No. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's where my help comes from. He is not contained by a high place. He is not bound by any altar or any kind of uh, manipulation that we could do as, as human beings. So when he's 16 years old, it says here that Josiah gave his life really to the Lord. It says he began to seek the God of David. The Hebrew verb here for seek is so much more than just a search. It really means that he began to truly worship the Lord. He began to, to search out the true meaning of God. It means that he followed the one true God of the universe as a 16-year-old boy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Josiah began to, to trust and obey is really what the word means. He began to trust and obey the true God as, as Lord of his heart and as Lord of his life when he was 16. That's what the word seek really means here, to trust and obey. And let's, let's not underestimate the, the, the ways that teenagers and children seek the Lord, right? The way that teenagers and children can trust and obey in God. The text says here that he began to seek the Lord while he was still a boy. You know, 650 years after this, our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was dwelling on the earth, made it clear that to such as children belongs the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 10 Verse 13 through 15 says, And they, the, the crowds around Jesus, were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You know, I think often we, we prefer for our children and youth to kind of be out of sight and out of mind. In youth ministry, we always lament how, how teenagers' areas and churches are usually the furthest away from everything else, right? We want to keep them out of sight and out of mind. I love that we don't do that here, that our teenagers are a, a critical part of what the Lord's doing at Woodmont. We would do well, I think, to invest time and energy hanging out with the children and the youth of this church, Spending some time with the children and the young people of this church because we have much to learn from them, I promise. We know we have a lot to learn from our, our elders and from those among us who have been on the journey of Christian discipleship for a long time, but we also have much to learn from the faith of children. I learn something every day from my three kids and have learned a whole lot from working with youth over the years as well. Okay, so verse 3 says that when he was only 20, after only four years of really seeking the Lord, that, that young King Josiah then began to lead this massive nationwide reform, this huge campaign to cleanse, to purge, it says, Jerusalem and Judah of all of the, the pagan artifacts, of all the sinful uh, acts of worship that have been going on. 
and this is not some teenage puppet king, is it? Josiah is passionate. He's energetic about fixing what's wrong with Israel, what's wrong with Judah. He's not just some puppet king. He's a 20-year-old iconoclast. He's someone who's ready to break down literally the structures that are so in opposition to the ways of God. Look at verse 4. And they, Josiah's servants, chopped down the altars of the Baals. Those were the ancient pagan Canaanite gods, right? In his presence. And he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. And he broke in pieces the ashram and the carved and the metal images. And he made dust of them. You say, okay, that's intense. All right, he's going in smashing stuff. But then he takes it a step further. Keep reading. Then he scatters that dust over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. It wasn't that they just died of old age. He is purging the land here. He is wiping out the the pagan priests, those who have led the people of Israel astray for so long. He is saying, no more will you do that. Look at verse 5. He burned the bones of the priest on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. You know, the, the, the book of, of 2 Kings and, and, and 1 and 2 Chronicles record the acts of some of these good kings. About half the kings in Judah were okay. And they, they implemented some reforms. We know that Uzziah and Hezekiah were good guys who wanted to seek after the Lord. And that they instituted some pretty major reforms. But this was unlike any other reforms that Israel had ever seen. He was committed to absolutely removing the sin from the land. Josiah was completely committed to holiness, is what we're talking about here. He knew that our God is totally holy, that he's completely other than. He's he's completely high and above all the profane things of this world. And so anything in this world that leads to destruction and death in the ways of sin has to be removed because it's abomination to the holy God. There's no compromising here. Josiah is completely committed to purging the land of the filth and to purify what's supposed to be a sacred, holy land for the Lord. Holiness matters to God, doesn't it? It mattered then to to God and it matters now to God. Holiness is something that sometimes we, we tend to compromise with because of our culture. We would be mistaken to do that. Holiness really matters to God today as it did back in these times. I'm not saying we should go out smashing idols or anything right now, but maybe we should take it a little more seriously, this idea of the holiness of God. And remember that by this time, this about around 630 now BC, that the Assyrian army had already come in a hundred years before and wiped out Israel. They had taken away the, the, the tribes of Israel, but by this point, There's a few Jewish people still living there in that area, and Josiah understands that these are still God's people, that they are one still uh, in in the body of the Lord. They're still members of the family of God. They're descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just like he is. So look at the next verse, verse 6. In the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, these are tribes of the north. In their ruins all around, he broke down the altars and he beat the ashram. Ashram were little cult uh, artifacts that were part of Asherah worship. Asherah was a a, a fertility goddess who was supposed to be one of the lovers of Baal. So uh, he, he smashed them into powder and he cut down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to, to Jerusalem. 
He makes a missionary campaign up in the north, smashes all the idols. So after all this work is done, so after all this, Josiah wants to restore the temple in Jerusalem back to its rightful place as the glorious location where sins are atoned for, where people are made right with the holy God. Look at verse 8. Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had cleansed the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Masaiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God, the temple. They came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the house of God, which the Levites, those are the priests, the keepers of the threshold, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim and from all the remnant of Israel and from all Judah and Benjamin, from the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They've taken up an offering, even in Israel in the north, to repair the house of the Lord, to restore it back to its glory. Even in Israel, you know, the decimated northern kingdom gives an offering to, to help rebuild this temple. I just came out of a finance committee meeting this morning where we're talking about repairing this older building here. This is very relevant, I think, to what's happening. Verse 10, they gave the money to the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord, the temple. And the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord gave it for repairing and restoring the house. Amen. <laughs> they gave it to the carpenters and the builders to buy quarried stone and timber for binders and beams for the buildings that the kings of Judah had let go to ruin. And the men did the work faithfully. Over them were set Jahath and Obadiah the Levites of the sons of Merari and Zechariah and Meshalam of the sons of the Kohathites to have oversight. The Levites, all who were skillful with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers and directed all who did work and every kind of service. And some of the Levites were scribes and officials and gatekeepers. So the Levites, who are priests and their worship leaders, are overseeing the work in the temple. And this is free, but I, I think it's interesting that they're musicians. My guess is that they're playing, they're singing while people are working. It always makes the work go faster. When we were in Guatemala uh, on the construction team, there was a guy named Rolando who was uh, the, the custodian, the, the facilities manager of the church we were working at, at Roca Fiel in Guatemala City. And he had this beautiful voice, and he would just start singing hymns in Spanish as we were painting and as we were you know, mixing cement and concrete. I didn't have enough breath to sing because I was so you know, trying to, to mix concrete and stuff, but he was just had this beautiful voice, and he would just sing. I told him if he ever gets to come to Nashville, we're going to have him come sing here. But it makes the work go faster when we're worshiping and singing. But then something amazing happens. Look at verse 14. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest, the high priest, found the book of the law of the Lord, the Torah, the scroll of the word of God that the Lord had given through Moses, the gracious gift of God, his revealed written word was discovered. How long had it been missing? We don't know. But we know that for at least generations, it had been completely neglected, completely hidden, completely forgotten about. Verse 15, then Hilkiah, the, the, the priest, answered and said to Shaphan, the secretary, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. What an amazing, blessed discovery. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported to the king. I think this is hilarious. All that was committed to your servants, they're doing. 
They've emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord. They've given it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Everybody's playing, singing, having a great time. Then the Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Oh, by the way, Hilkiah, the priest, has also given me a book. <laughs> like it's some old dusty book we found. And Shaphan started to read it before the king. But this is not just any old book, is it? This is the living and active word of God. So as he reads this, watch what happens. This is, this is probably what we think is, is Deuteronomy. Second Kings makes it more explicit what, what they found. It could have been the whole Torah, I don't know. But it, it sounds like Deuteronomy from, from what we read in Second Kings. This is the book, remember, in Deuteronomy. We did a whole series on it that says things like this in, in chapter 29. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord. That you are God's people and they shall be afraid of you. And then it says in verse 15, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. This is also the book that says, remember chapter 30, verse 15, see I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live. You shall flourish. You shall thrive and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, then I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. He is your life, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. Can you imagine Josiah hearing these words, hearing these words for the first time in his life? He's never heard the word of God ever. And now as Shaphan reads this, it completely wrecks him. He, he becomes a puddle just on the ground. You see, the, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. When you read it, when you hear it read aloud, it pierces to the division of, of spirit and soul. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. Our innermost parts are affected by Holy Scripture, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. When we read the Bible, it's not like reading a newspaper. I love to read the paper, but when you read the paper, you're just kind of putting some facts up here, right? And they kind of rattle around until you forget about them. But when you read Holy Scripture, your mind takes it in, yes, but then something amazing happens. Because it's living and active, it goes from here down into here. It starts to affect us. 
It starts to to work on us. It starts to change us from the inside out as we are conformed to the image of God more and more as we read Scripture. It it moves into our hearts. That's exactly what happens to Josiah. It's kind of dangerous, isn't it, to read the Word of God, this piercing, sharp, living and active document. It might ruin your your day. It, It might ruin your clothes. Look at the next verse, 19. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us. Woe is us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord, to do according to all that is written in this book. The Lord's greatness is revealed in his word, right? And for generations, the word has been completely neglected, completely abandoned. If they abandon God's word, that means they also abandon God's ways, which means really they have turned their backs on God himself. They've completely turned away from the Lord. And as, jo- as Josiah hears these words of God read aloud, he realizes that God is great and so is his wrath. So is his judgment against sin. He knows that the greatness of God, the greatness of his holiness, the greatness of his perfection leads to, to repentance. So he's broken. He's completely broken over his sin and the sin of his people, the sin of his land. So Josiah sends the priest to go ask God how they can begin to make things right. And the answer they get from God is to be open to his word. Look at verse 26. It says to be tenderhearted, to allow God's word to pierce us where we need it the most. But to the king of Judah, the Lord says, who sent you, priest, to inquire of me, the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you've heard, Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants and you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place and its inhabitants, and they brought back this word to the king. Josiah was spared the judgment that would happen a few years later when the Babylonians came into Judah and wrecked them, took them all into exile. He was long gone by then. So a few applications just to close here, okay? First, what is it that you seek today? Remember this, this word seek means to trust and obey, to, 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 to really give your life to. Rick Warren says everyone is betting their lives on something. We're all betting our lives on something. That's what you seek. Whatever it is that your foundation it is, when you strip away all the gut level stuff and get down to the basis for your life, what is it that you're seeking? What is it that you're standing on? What's the foundation, the basis for your life? If it's anything but the solid rock of Jesus Christ, then I would argue that it's shifting sand. Second application point here that that we see is that maybe we should be a little more like kids. My kids drive me nuts at times, but maybe we should have the kind of faith, the kind of trust, 
the kind of enthusiasm that a young 16-year-old boy named Josiah has for the Lord. I think too many of us grow jaded. Too many of us get bitter as we grow older. You know, I, I love the warmth of so many of our senior adults in this church who have seemed to grow softer and kinder with age. I pray that I'll be able to age that way. But maybe we all should, should take a lesson from our young people in this church. We're grateful for you teenagers. We're grateful for you children. You add a lot to our church. We really appreciate all that you bring and all you do for our church. Third, remember that the holiness of God is, is paramount. That holiness matters to God now as it did then. Josiah committed to purge the nation of sin. Jesus Christ said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. We're committed to holiness, right? Are you committed today to purifying your life of anything that may be profaning it today? Finally, are you tenderhearted towards God's word? Are you open to the piercing of your soul and spirit that may happen as you interact with God's holy written revelation of himself? Are you understanding how Jesus Christ was the new temple, right? We said last week that the glory of God is shown in Jesus Christ. Do you understand that today the word of God is also Jesus Christ himself? John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then, of course, my favorite verse in all of scripture, a few verses later, and the word became flesh, the logos of God, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, we spend time in, in God's Word because that's how we grow in Christ. We spend time in God's Word because we are connecting with the living Word whom every page whispers His name as we read this living and active document. You know, some of you uh, may not love Scripture. The invitation for you today is, is to fall in love with God's word, with Jesus Christ, who, who is the goal of this written revelation. Maybe some of you haven't spent much time in God's word lately. Maybe you think the Bible is just weird, of, weird full of weird names and, and strange laws that don't apply to you anymore. I would argue that every single part of the Bible is still relevant. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Maybe this morning you, you feel the need to get connected with Christ through His Word. Maybe you need to fall in love with the, the greatness of God as revealed in His Word. So how, how do we come to the Father? Through His Word. How do we know God? Through His Word. How do we receive the forgiveness and the grace and the righteousness of God? Through his word. We're going to have a time of reflection now. Lynn's going to sing softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. The word of God speaks. The word of God calls to you now. I don't know where you're at spiritually right now or when the last time you really spent time in God's word. We're reading through the Bible in 2017. I encourage you to pick up a, a schedule out here on the, uh, the Welcome Center. There's reading plans that are on the south entrance and the north entrance. Pick one of those up. Get in the Word. Let it change us. Let it shape us. 
I'm excited about what God's going to do in the future of Woodmont, and I keep thinking about strategic planning and and what our mission statement's going to be and all that stuff, but I feel like the Lord's saying, wait, wait, spend some time in my word. Let the word of God conform you to the image of Christ, and in that you will find your mission, in that you will find your purpose, in that you will find your basis for life. Some of you are here today, and you, you haven't joined Woodmont, and you, you've been thinking about it, praying about it. Jesus is calling you. Jesus is calling you to come home, to be a part of your true home. I'm not saying that Woodmont is your home necessarily. I'm saying that among the people of God is your home, that our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of, of the kingdom of God, first and foremost. Our first allegiance is not to a president or to a country. It's to a king and a kingdom. So today, as, as Lynn sings, and you need to come home, we're going to have an invitation song after that. I pray that the Lord would speak to your heart, whatever decision it is that you need to make today, that you would hear the voice of Jesus calling you, and that you would obey and respond.